the biggest stories from the pages of the London Free Press and LFPress.com. This is the London Free Press Podcast with your host, Rachel Gilbert. Welcome to the London Free Press Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert. Uh, About a week ago now, Nathaniel Veltman was convicted of four counts of first-degree murder and one count of attempted murder in the deaths of four members of the Afzal family on June 6, 2021, here in London. The long trial is over, and today I'm talking with London Free Press crime reporter Jane Sims about her extensive coverage and where we go from here. Hi, Jane. How are you? Hi, Rachel. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. I, I haven't seen you in a long time because you've been you've been a little busy. Um, you've written yeah. several stories since since the conviction. And uh, one of them detailed your connection to Salman Afzal, the father of um, of the family, the patriarch, I guess, of the family and one of the four people killed. Can you just tell us a little bit about your connection to Salman? Sure. I, I wrote a column about this. and My connection is fleeting. And, and I will be perfectly clear with everyone. I never I never had the chance to meet him. But Salman also met my mother and doing the things that Salman also did as a physiotherapist. My mother is an Alzheimer's patient and uh, needed a wheelchair. And uh, uh, we were going through the process of getting that done. Um, but uh, when it came, we have heard the delivery of her chair was delayed. And the reason it was delayed is because the report and the had not been signed off. Mm-hmm. It wasn't completed because Salman Afsal had done her um, as- assessment and fitting. And uh, and we, we didn't find that out until until much later. It was it was the end of the summer. Mm-hmm. So um, and, you know, it it was just to me. You know, it it stuck with me and my siblings. I mean, that mm. this was, you know, this was a connection that that we didn't know about, and yet it was an important connection in our lives. And certainly, mm. all four of those people who died had important connections, whether they be little or big, that that people would be thinking about when they when they when they were murdered. And uh, um, and I have to say that during the trial. Because they were random victims of a of a planned murder, which is unusual, right? Um, with having no connection to Veltman whatsoever, um, we really didn't hear much about them. And because this case has so many features to it that could really inflame the emotions of of, of a jury, a lot of times that was intentional mm-hmm. on the part of the of of, of the court and the way um, the, the way that the evidence was going to be presented. So by the end of it, you kind of felt like they kind of got lost a little bit. Now we will come back to them, uh, obviously. Once sentencing, when, once there is a sentencing hearing, mm-hmm. there will be victim impact um, statements that will go in at that point, and and that will be the time when we probably and likely put much more emphasis on who they are and yeah. and what happened to them. Did you and your reporting? Because uh, I know they have so many family and friends who. Uh, we're we're just um, we're following every piece of this trial. Did you, in your reporting, come across other people who maybe even just had a, a fleeting connection, as you put it, but uh, or even a, a bigger one? Because I know there's a lot of a, a large community around them. But other people who who uh, spoke to you about the impact in their lives, even if it was just a small one. Well, I I will say this. So one of the things that I, I put in the column is that there there is a memorial stone in front of my my mother's nursing home, which which I. I see every time I go see her now. And my understanding is now is that there, there's several nursing homes outside of London that have that stone. Oh, and uh, nice. uh, that 
or something similar to it to to remember him. Um, I, I think that as far as as one of the things that happened in this trial, which was convenient for all of us who were covering it because it was in Windsor, I covered most of this trial through a uh, through a Zoom link through through a, a webinar which we got approval for to do. Mm-hmm. I was in the Windsor courtroom quite a bit, but certainly I spent a lot of time here watching it. So it made it different in terms of making those connections with people in the courtroom. Although okay. I will say they were. They were lovely, generous people when I did get the chance to talk to them. Absolutely, there, yeah. Yeah, there were quite a few people who did come to to Windsor to yeah. uh, to watch it, particularly near near the um, end of it. Mm. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, do we know how the Fzal's son is doing? I, I don't know if we can say much about him, but uh, he was the one survivor of this uh, tragedy. Um, do we know how he's doing? Uh, we, we, you, you weren't reporting his name throughout this trial. I know that. Right. Yes. Yes. And I mean, that there for, for two reasons, I think one was that was, that was being, that, that was kind of the message that we had, but also being a child victim. I mean, his, mm-hmm. his name is, is protected. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, this, this family that has been thrust into the limelight and have become, you know, so part of our, our uh, community, you know, and, and, and known well, I mean, they're, they are a very private family mm. and they certainly are protective of this little boy, obviously. Um, so I really can't tell you much about what's going on with him. I'm sure we're going to hear more mm-hmm. once, once the sentencing happens. But at this point, I think that everybody was kind of on pins and needles to, to, to see what would happen at the, at the end of, of, of this trial. But, but yeah. certainly he, he is a, he he has uh, he has loving people around him. I know that from Good. the people I met in the uh, courtroom Good. Uh, during during this case. Yeah, uh, this was a long trial, eleven weeks, as you said. Um, and I remember talking to you at the beginning of this, and and you said, "Oh, it's probably, it might be about three months. We're not sure ish, three months ish." And it was, it really was. Um, and of course, there's a lot of uh, focus on this trial because it was the first time that terrorism charges have been tried in Canada before a jury in a case uh, in a murder case like this. What were your emotions covering this trial? Was this trial different for you from any others? Because you've covered so many in your career. Um, what emotions or what things came up for you during this trial? Or did you? What differences did you notice? Well, I think it was there was. I, I think because of, and I, I'm not saying that <laughs> that every murder trial I've ever covered is is not significant and doesn't hit you in a certain way. But sure. But this had this had great. Im- implications for this city mm-hmm. um you know a city of 420,000 people and one of the fastest growing pe- places in in Canada and welcoming new people here all the time of all different cultures and and I, I think I, I will say this given what it was like back in June of 2021 and Rachel you know as well as I do the heaviness that mm-hmm. fell over this community mm-hmm. um I, I I think that that it was for me at times there was there was sort of a deja vu moment back there that was very difficult to sort of not very difficult but certainly had to put it put to to one side and you know I think other reporters would talk about a level of frustration listening to Mr. Beltman give some mm-hmm. sort of explanation for why he did what he did. Right. Um, given what the stakes were and given how this community was was feeling and and also i I think all of us who covered this case felt a sense of responsibility to uh to make sure we got it right 
and to make sure that the community knew what was happening and that they had a full picture of what this case was was focusing on because the issues in it were fairly narrow. There was no question Mr. Veltman had had run his truck into these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was no question that he was responsible for that. But but you, the question was in, intent. It was whether, which they made it intent, whether he had formed the intention to kill these people when he ran his truck in, into them, mm-hmm. which is kind of splitting hairs a bit. <laughs> right. But, It was was important for us to to make sure that we were able to to explain that to people and and to, you know, to have the community understand what this was, what what, what was happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's talk about the trial and and Veltman being on the stand. Last time you and I talked, we actually weren't sure if he would take the stand, but he did. Um, Can you just summarize what Veltman uh, said for himself at the trial. Uh, sure. How did how does he justify what he did? He said he essentially admi- he admitted it. Um, but but how does he justify what what was his defense in all of this? Well, there was a lot of people wondering what it was. I had emails at the beginning of this from people who would say, "Come on, Jay, what's 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 the defense going to be?" And like, quite frankly, it wasn't clear to me. There were there were so many issues in this case that were that were re- resolved before it ever went before the jury. Um, however. I will say this, that, that none of us thought Velvin was good. Velvin would be testifying. Uh, I will say, I think it was good to, uh, you know, there was no reason for him to be testifying at the time, we thought. And it was a bit of a surprise the day that it was announced that he was going up there. But I, part of the reason um, was because he had this psychiatric report that he, that the, the defense said showed that he had some mental health issues that may have been exacerbated by long-term effects of magic mushrooms um which was yeah that was interesting so Veldman himself he 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 went up into the witness box he spent uh every moment answering questions facing the jury and talking to them Mm. um and he basically said that he uh, he had obsessive compulsive disorder. He was on the autism spe- He had autism spectrum disorder, which was just diagnosed. <laughs> um, anxiety, uh, uh, paranoia, um, uh, de- depression. Uh, th- there was a whole host of things that were in Dr. Julian Goethe's report that he that he told the jury about, and basically said he had while he had thought about. Um, perhaps driving into Muslims. And yeah, he had consumed all of this far right in internet material. Mm-hmm. Um, he was fighting off that urge and that he called it an urge. Um, and that in fact, the night before he killed the Absols, he went to Toronto and had thought about doing it. And when he was driving home from work the next day, he saw a group of Muslims on Oxford street and he thought about doing it. And then he said he was going out for food in full battle gear and um, saw the absoles and, and turned around and hit them that he could not stop himself from the urge. Hmm. Um, and this was, this was what Dr. Goger talked about in his rip- report. Now I will say this, uh, uh, assistant crown attorney, Jen Moser from the London office made quick work of that psychiatric report at a cross-examination. And in my opinion, that 
cross-examination should be shown and taught to law school students oh, across wow. the country. She was fantastic. Wow. Um, wow. Because just basically took it apart piece by piece. And as for Veltman, I mean, you know, there was, he used a lot of buzzwords. And this was pointed out by Middlesex County Crown Fraser Ball in his, in his closing. And they were all D words, you know, uh, depersonalized, uh, detached, um, you know, dreamlike state. Uh, this is what he, how he said he felt. But that was versus a, basically a mountain of evidence on the Crown side that, that showed that there was a plan in place, that he was right. thinking about this for a long time. And he'd yeah. done a lot of things to, to, to prepare himself for the day that he was going to send a message, as he called it. Interesting. Uh, send a message is what he said to the you wrote a story about items that were found in Veltman's apartment, uh, which were not used as evidence in the trial. Um, what were some of those items and, and why weren't they used? Well, there was a copy of Hitler's Mein Kampf. There was a book by a well-known um, Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, there were there were there were pieces of of, of evidence that was that you know that there's always a balance in court between prejudice and and probative values. Mm. Um, lots of people have Hitler's book that you know, wouldn't do this or lots of people read a lot of different things. So, so it goes back to ensuring that this trial, that this jury wasn't, wasn't prejudiced by, by items that really didn't have any um, real connection to exactly what he was doing. So, so it's, they're, they're interesting. I mean, for those of us who find the whole thing interesting, they're interesting, but certainly when it comes down to proving a case, just because somebody has a book doesn't mean that they are guilty of murdering sure. poor people. Sure. Right. So, yeah. So it, it, there was, again, there, there was an assessment done, uh, you know, before the trial started about, about what, what would and would not be admissible at trial. And even the uh, crown conceded during pretrial motions that that would not be in- introduced before the jury. Hmm. Uh, there was also a manifesto that Veltman wrote himself, and were parts of that brought into trial, or or not at all? Yeah, they were. Um, there was there. What happened was at the end of the trial, um, a copy of the redacted uh, manifesto did go with the jury, although they weren't given copies of it when it was read in court. Uh, the federal prosecutor, the uh, Sarah Shake, read parts of that manifesto into the uh, in into the record, and basically. They were a um, a recitation of Veltman's beliefs and his belief system, and and his he it was called a white awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we know now that it borrowed some phrases both from Mein Kampf and and from the uh, manifesto of uh, of a guy by the name of Brendan Brenton Tarrant who uh, murdered uh, more than fifty Muslims at mosques in New Zealand in 2019. And who was in his who Veltman told the police when he made that sweeping uh, police statement was one of his his inspirations. Um, but it it basically was sort of a a a you know a rallying cry to for white people to to rise up as he called it and uh, what his beliefs were regarding 
um, regarding non-white mm-hmm. people. And uh, um, yeah, so it was, okay. and you know, what's interesting to me in that, I mean, we see the, these manifestos pop up in, in many of these, these, you know, these kinds of cases. I know that, that, the, that the Buffalo shooter, for example, that killed all the, all, all the folks at the uh, top supermarket, there was a manifesto and, and, and the Tree of Life Synagogue in Philadelphia. And, you know, uh, also uh, Anders Brevik, which was the manifesto found in, in Beltman's apartment who, who killed, uh, who murdered scores of people uh, in, 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 I'm going to say Norway, I'm going to get wrong, Norway. Um, but, and white, a white nationalist, white, white supremacist. So, right. so it was, it was important, particularly on the terrorism side of things that the crown was able to put some of the, to put that, get that evidence in. Sure. Yeah. Um, we heard a little bit about, well, we heard a lot, so I should say, we heard a lot about Veltman's upbringing during the trial and what that was like and, um, and kind of how that maybe traumatized him or maybe indicate, um, uh, led him to where he is now. Um, did we ever hear from his parents or were his parents at the trial? Uh, cause we heard a lot about his, how he was parented, but did we ever hear from them? Well, no. <laughs> so that's a short answer. Okay. But let, let me back up. Like part of his testimony was that he had a he was traumatized in his childhood because he was a homeschooled kid um, from a from a fundamentalist Christian background. Um, and he I'll be frank. I mean, he he said an awful lot of terrible things about his mother, um, uh, called her a, a religious fanatic. Um who, who ruled with an iron, you know, an iron fist, basically, basically didn't allow him to do anything, isolated him, homeschooled him, kept him away from, from high school until his parents separated. Hmm. Um, When I look back at it, it, you know, she, she wasn't at the trial, number one. Okay. Okay. But her, her, her name was not, wasn't even used. Um, They didn't even say her name. Um, and she didn't testify. She there was no evidence given to the jury about any kind of statement she made, and there there is nothing that would suggest anything. And you know, uh, even the psychiatrist who uh, was doing this this assessment of Veltman didn't talk to her. Mm. Uh, one of the social workers on his team did talk to Veltman's father, and. I must be honest, when when it became clear that there was going to have to be additional evidence to support the, the crown theory, I thought that's who would be called not Feldman would have been his would have been his dad. Right. Um but we didn't see him. We didn't see, you know, he has five siblings, he has a twin sister. Um and none of the was, family was called was, for this. No, no. And, and and there was only one day that I can think of when I was in Windsor. That there was, and they may have been there a couple of days. There, there was a group of people who supported him. Um, I don't know who they were, um, but they they were they were not family, as far as I know. Um, but otherwise, there was nobody there for him. There was there was him, and there was his his legal team, and that was it. Wow, wow. Because uh, yeah. I didn't even know he had kids. I've been following this story since twenty twenty. Or kids had siblings. Oh, siblings. Um, I thought siblings, he was the yeah, only kid. Yeah, five. Um, no, so, yeah. sister. Yeah. Surprising. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about yeah. the um, uh, the day that he was um, the verdict was read 
of course, we know that he was convicted of uh, four counts of first degree murder and one count of attempted murder. Um, what was his reaction when when all this happened? Like what was what was going on in the court when this was being read and, and he received the verdict? Well, I, I think, first of all, what, what I, I will say is, is that, you know, it 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 occurred to me that this this jury wasn't going to be out very long. They they really didn't have. Yeah, it was six hours. Is that right? Yeah, they they didn't have a complicated dis- decision to make, right? So, okay. um, they you know it, this was not a whodunit, right? It was just basically down to in, intent. So, um, if in fact they were going to convict him, it wasn't going to take long. Mm-hmm. So they went out on a Thursday evening. They had supper, and Justice Pomerant shut everything down at eight o'clock because it had been a long day, and uh, they reached turned on uh, Thursday morning and um, uh, they had lunch and they were done and they were ready to come back. Veltman came in kind of, he was dressed in a black blazer, black shirt and black pants. He was uh, just looked straight ahead, sat down between his lawyers, never looked at, at the jury. The jury came in and they didn't look at him and um, the verdicts came down and there was really no reaction from him at all. Really? Um, Everybody yeah, knew nothing, he would be convicted really. of, of something anyway. So. Well, I think probably when he did, when it was only six hours, it was pretty clear what was going to happen mm-hmm. for him, mm-hmm. right? So, um, but no, there was nothing really. And so, uh, and then there, then the uh, job was done uh, for this jury. They were, I think they would probably be pretty happy when the judge said, you're done. <laughs> right? Yes, it was a long trial for them. What about yeah. the terrorism uh, charge? Well, the terrorism, it's, it, it's a little bit different than, than, than it, it's not a charge. So okay. um, what the jury was asked to do is uh, they, they could convict Beltman of first degree murder using one or both paths to first degree murder. And one of them was planning and deliberation, which is kind of the sort of traditional thing you see in a lot of first degree murder cases. But the other one was whether they believed, if they believed he was a, he, this was a terrorist act. Uh, jury uh, deliberations are confidential in this country. We don't know what, you know, what was how it happened, how they reached that verdict. Um, six of them could have said planning deliberation. Six of them could have said terrorism. Or 12 of them could have said both. We won't know. That sort of becomes more important at the sentencing hearing once it happens uh which still has to be scheduled um the first of december there we will know what date we will be coming back in london by the way it won't be in windsor it'll be here in in london okay um and yeah and so what will happen is something called a gardener hearing which is when both sides there the the two sides dispute the uh the facts of so what will happen that I what what has to happen before he's sentenced is that Justice Pomerantz will do something called she'll make findings of fact based on the evidence. And in that Gardner hearing, I, I'm fully expecting a lot of pushback from the de- a defense regarding regarding the uh, terrorism charges, the terrorism designation, um, which. And if I may, uh, you know, it's that is not going going to change Veltman's sentence. Okay. Uh, his sentence is life, and he has no chance parole, no chance to even apply for parole for twenty five years. 
if in fact she decides that terrorism is is part of this, it could affect the sentence for a, for a, a, attempted murder, um, and it also could affect how he's classified when he goes to in, into the federal system. And okay. also, and I think this is the big one, when he does make that application for parole the first time, if he's a terrorist, that's going to affect that too. Okay. So, so, so there we'll is find a, out at, even at, though the sentence, yeah, we'll find out at the yeah. sentencing the whether sentence, he's a, he's been called a terrorist. Right, and that there'll be some argument on it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the prosecutors said that she hopes the verdict brings some closure to the Afzal family and the wider Muslim community. Is that possible? Have you have you talked to any of them? Do they um, do they feel like this is is bringing closure? This is, of course, what we we all wanted the verdict to be. Um, yeah. Is this going to help them? I think it does. I mean, it, I, I can't walk in their shoes, however. Sure. Um, and, it, and certainly no verdict's going to going to bring back this family. Um, that's part of it. They, you know, we can't fix that part. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think sometimes we forget, as, as one police officer said to me during the trial, I mean, you know, what's it like for for a Muslim woman to stand on a corner to cross the street and look down the street and see a pickup truck coming? Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, or like like what, you know, that level of fear, this which was as what Veltman told the police was his intention was mm-hmm. to send a message and to cause fear. Right. Um, I, I, I don't know how you sort of scrub that away. Right. Um, the people I have talked to have felt great relief. Um, they feel like the justice system has recognized is, is Islamophobia and has recognized them and that they will, they've been treated fairly, which I guess is, is step one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and there'll the be right more for them to say at the sentencing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Jane. I know we're going to learn when the sentencing is uh, December 1st, and we'll be watching your reportings. I'm sure you'll be uh, there for that. And we'll learn more from you at lfpress.com. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Rachel.